Oh man, we're so glad that you are here today. We have been, for the last couple of weeks, um, not really by design, it just kind of happened. I, I took three weeks off in July uh, for a kind of a mini sabbatical, if you want to call it that. And the uh, kind of during that time, um, there was one verse that the Lord really just kind of either put on my heart or kind of just, I kept going back to, and it was 1 John 5, 21. And so two weeks ago, I came back uh, from sabbatical, and we kind of just camped out in this verse two weeks ago. And then last week, we were in John 5. Um, but this verse here, in, in, the, in the first one, it's the NLT. It says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Uh, the NIV there at the bottom just says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So it really wasn't part of my plan to come back from sabbatical and teach on idols for three weeks in a row. It's just kind of what the Lord put on my heart. And I want to be sensitive to that and to teach through that. We had been in a series on prayer leading up to that. And starting next week, we're going to jump back into that series on prayer. Um, but today, we'll kind of conclude um, kind of our three-week mini-idol series. Um, because if we are honest with ourselves and with each other, we, we do, and I've said this for two weeks now going on three, we, we live in an idol factory, right? We make idols out of everything. And, and a lot of times, these things that we make idols of, they are actually good things. But the, 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 the problem is, is when you and I take a good thing, we make it the ultimate thing, it then becomes a dangerous thing. And scripture is really clear that our heart should not be divided, that the Lord wants our full attention. But if we are honest with ourselves, so many times we find ourselves and our heart at war with inside competing for different things, or different things are competing for our heart's attention. And here at the end of 1 John, John has spent this entire first letter reminding the, the, the believers in Ephesus about who they are in God. They are children of God. And in the very last verse of that first letter, he says, hey, do not give yourself to idols. And that we should be mindful of that because our heart is prone to wonder. Our, our heart is prone to go this way. We are prone to give in to other things. And he's saying, don't do this. Don't give yourself to idols. Um, this morning, we can approach this one or two ways. And, and I've said this before, and if you've been here with this from the beginning or even throughout the last two years, um, this will be a reminder. We can approach today, but we can approach every Sunday in one of two ways. We can approach it with pride or we can approach it with humility. And, and pride and humility are on two opposite sides of the spectrum, right? Where pride walks in and says, man, I've already heard this before. Like, Cody, move on. We've talked about this now for three weeks. Like, I already know this. You've already taught this. We've already been reminded of this. But then humility walks in and says, man, I need to hear this again. In scripture, throughout the entire Bible, either idol or idolatry is mentioned over a thousand times in scripture. There's a reason it's mentioned over a thousand times in scriptures because we run right back to them all the time. And so this morning we can say, hey, I've already heard this before or I need to hear this again. And, and my prayer for myself and for all of us is that our heart posture this morning would say, I need to hear this again. What is an idol? Well, it's any noun. It's any noun, a person, place, thing. Tony Evans would say it's any thought that takes the place of God in my life. An idol is any person, place, or thing that you and I orient our entire lives around. It's anything that you and I think we can't live without. It's anything that you and I put our hope in. It's anything that you and I get our identity from or our value from. It's anything or anyone that occupies my mind 24-7. 
It's anything that you and I have allowed to sit on the throne of our heart. See, a lot of times, right, we think idol worship is something in the Old Testament. It's the golden calf, and you and I haven't created golden calves that we worship in the backyard every morning. But if we are honest with ourselves, we all have little golden calves that we have worshipped and that we do worship a lot of the time. See, the reality is, is idolatry is still a problem today, right? Football season has already started on, on all levels, right? Preseason started. High school football has started. Junior high football will start this week. Um, youth tackle football started nine weeks ago. I don't mean the pros didn't even start nine weeks ago. We got third graders full pads just crushing it six days a week. But anyways, okay, sorry. I'll get off focus. I'm sorry. And I don't, I'm not picking on football. I'm a football guy. Football was a huge part of my life. I love football. Um, but this thing about this, you, you finish the phrase, faith, family, football. Some of us have the sign, and if you have that sign in your house, all good. Not, not, I'm not poking, not making fun of. I think we had that sign in my house growing up. But we do. We say faith, family, football, in that order. But let's be honest, we have already rearranged that to just go football, 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 maybe some family time in between practice. And then if we have time and we're not too tired, then we'll talk about our faith. See, anything that we reorient, reorient our lives around becomes an idol. And again, I'm not saying that we can't play sports, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. My kids play sport. But anything that you and I reorient our lives around becomes an idol. And for those of us that don't, are non-football families, let's not take the posture of like, oh, he's not talking to me. Right? Let's not be prideful and say, well, we don't play football. Well, we do a lot of other things too. And so I know this message, and if you're here the first time, it's like, golly, this guy. Um, but Scripture is very clear that we should not give ourselves titles. Because later on in Revelation, right, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit in this vision, he begins to write letters to the seven churches. And we know who gets called out in Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus, because they forgot their first love. They forgot their first love. So if they would have taken this warning, they would have heeded this warning and listened then maybe they wouldn't have lost their first love. And so for me, as your pastor, whether this is your church here full-time or you're here today, I take the opportunity to be your pastor very seriously. I don't want any of us to give ourselves to idols, that we will not lose our first love. See, naturally we think, okay, I have little idols. I know I have things that I put more attention on, and I'm going to try harder this week, and we're going to be better this week. I'm going to try to modify my behavior this week. I'm going to give God a little bit more time this week. But see, the re reality is, is when you and I attempt to address the sin that's in our lives without exposing the foundation that that sin is rooted in, because the reality is, is every sin that we give into is rooted in idolatry in some form or fashion. And if we only try to change our behavior and we don't get to the foundation of what is causing that behavior, the sin issue, the idolatry that's going on in our lives, you and I will not have any real spiritual transformation. That's why you and I are so quick to go back to our old ways. Because we dress it up and we say, I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna be better, I'm gonna have a list and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible five minutes every morning and then we think that magically that's gonna change everything. Well, if we never get to the crux of it, if, if it's just about changing our behavior and not about changing our heart, we're always gonna go back to the things that are easier to worship that are right in front of us. And so today, right, there is a war waging out there and internally, in every one of our lives, things are competing to occupy the throne of my heart. 
and my prayer and my hope for my life and my wife's life and my family's life and my kids' life, but for all of us, is that throne would be occupied by nobody else than Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else. See, when you and I choose to worship an idol, it stunts our spiritual growth. When we choose to worship an idol, it impacts our faith. It, see, idols, see, this is what idols do. Idols command your day-to-day -day attention. See, idols control our attitudes. I mean, if you don't think I'm, if that's not true, think about, I mean, if sports is an easy one. And I'm, again, I'm all for sports. But I remember as a kid, if we played bad, the car ride home was the worst place I ever wanted to be. Like, the car ride home was super quiet because dad's mad. Mom's mad at dad because dad yelled at us, right? And then my twin brother and I are just sitting in the back seat like. But then we say, well, no, sports aren't an idol. Well, it affected the rest of the weekend. Like, it changed everybody's attitude. So we have to be careful about these things. See, John 10.10, 10, we all know it. But John 10.10, 10, as a reminder, tells us that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And guess what idols do? They steal your time, they kill your affections for the Lord, and they ultimately destroy your life. The enemy doesn't show up in a red costume with horns and a pitchfork and say, hey, I'm here. No, what he does is he shows up like a thief and he tries to steal your time and my time. And he makes us busy. And then he tries to kill us with our affection. He numbs us out because we chase everything that doesn't last instead of the thing that does last, and we wonder why we're spiritually dry. And then when we chase those things, it provides no restoration, and it actually destroys our life. That's his sole purpose. This morning, we're going to be in Joshua 24, two verses. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Here, just like when John was writing his first, that letter to the church there, he was an old man. He's looking back on the end of his life. Here we pick up in Joshua 24. Joshua is an old man at this point in his life. He's kind of remind, this is going to be his like last call, like his last public address to the Israelites. These are his final thoughts. This is Joshua who was freed from Egypt, right, who was a slave in Egypt, who passed through the Red Sea, who picked manna up from heaven off the ground. He, he watched the walls of Jericho fall down. He went with Caleb to spy the promised land. He's the one that brought the Israelites into the promised land. And here we pick up in Joshua 23 and 24, those chapters, his final address, and this is what he says. Reading in verse 14, he says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Verse 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live? And then the verse that we all know. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This passage today gives us, it shows us, right, that there is actually a pathway back to putting God on the throne of our hearts. And it's not just about let's have a better week this year and let's have a better school year this way and let's not do things like we did last year. Because if we, we, we were trying, Right, the, the crazy thing right, that maybe we don't realize, but there's not really a single verse, there's not a single verse in this entire book, this entire Bible, that commands you and me to try harder. Not a single verse that says, hey, try harder. But there are hundreds of verses that tell you and me to trust more. 
And so there is actually a way for you and I to dethrone these things that are sitting on our hearts and put God rightfully back where he deserves. And the scripture kind of lays that out for us. One, we've already established over the last couple of weeks and even this morning that you and I were created to worship. Like God created us in his image that we would be creatures that would worship him. But the reality is if we were created to worship and we don't worship him, we're going to worship something or someone else. Like we're going to worship something. That is our default nature is to worship. If it is not God, the God, the God of the Bible, like it, it's going to be some false God. This passage tells us that you and I must make a choice. But before we do that, will you put up that text message for me? So I sent a text to a buddy of mine, and this was his response. He just said, hey, man, thanks for reaching out. I asked him how we could pray for him. He's at college. He said, I would love for you guys to just pray that I just keep the Lord at the focal point of everything I do. You know that this life in college sports can be a roller coaster, and I just want to keep him, talking about Jesus, on the throne no matter what the case may be. It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day demands and just push the Lord to the side. Thanks again. The reality is, is that text message could have been, every one of us could have written that text message if we're honest. But that text, for context's sake, and I asked him if I could put it up there, and he said yes, is from Braden Locke. And some of you know Braden, some of you don't. Braden's the second string, number two quarterback at Wisconsin right now. Started here at Rockwell High School for three years, set every 6A high school Texas football passing record you could imagine. Went to Mississippi State, transferred to Wisconsin, and I just said, hey, we're going to pray for students this day on Sunday. How can I pray for you? And this was his response. He had no idea what I was going to teach on. That was on Thursday. But I love what he said. I just pray that I would just keep the Lord at the focal point of everything I do. I just want to keep him on the throne. What he's saying, I want to keep him on the throne of my heart, no matter what the case may be. What he's saying, whether I start or I'm the backup, whether I play or I don't play, I just want him to be on the throne of my heart. And if we are honest, we say, Lord, if I get to start and if I get to do this, then you can come on my heart. Then you can sit on the throne of my heart if you do X, Y, and Z. I love Braden's posture. I say, no matter what, that I would just seek the Lord. And just because we seek the Lord doesn't mean that everything's going to go the way we want it to. It doesn't. That it's impossible. Right? We have to make a choice. Braden has to make a choice. Braden is making a choice, I believe. You can take that off, Josh. To say, no matter what happens this fall at the University of Wisconsin, I'm going to choose the Lord. Verse 15 of the passage this morning, Joshua is telling the Israelites here, but also this morning, we have to make a choice. If we want to dethrone the idols that occupy our hearts, then we have to make a choice who we're going to serve. In verse 15, he says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you're going to serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, sir, before, beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Matthew 7, 24. I know Kay Eaton shared this a couple of few weeks ago at the women's night. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus speaking here. Sorry, 6, 24, not 7. It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. That you and I cannot serve two masters. 
that we have to make a choice. And the choice that Joshua is presenting to the Israelites is who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the gods of your family? Because he says that. Are you going to prefer the gods of your ancestors, the gods of your family, or are you going to serve, choose the gods of the Amorites? And so I just want to sit camp out here for a little bit. So you and I have ultimately three choices, like who we're going to choose. We're going to get to Jesus at the end. But before that, we've got to do some work. We have two options prior to Jesus. Either we're going to choose the gods of our family or we're going to choose gods of the culture that we live in. And so let's just camp out with like gods of the family. And the scripture calls them ancestors, the gods of your ancestors. Well, let's just think about some of the gods, the lowercase gods, right? Little g, that our families might have had when you and I were growing up. Because a lot of times we are the product of our raising. It's not an excuse to say, well, my parents did X, Y, and Z. So that's why, I, like, no, you and I have responsibility of our own choices. But a lot of times we worship the things that our family worshiped as when we were growing up. So the gods of our family, think about this, if you're, maybe you're struggling with being a workaholic because the parents that you had, they worshiped working. Maybe your parents were workaholics. And it was always about work, 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 work. And so if that is what you were raised in, then a lot of times you find yourself trying to worship that same idol as I'm just going to outwork everybody. And that becomes the God, the idol, of performance and for a lot of us in this room that is the idol that we worship the idol of performance for those of you in the back there you go because see the idol of performance says I am what I accomplish I am the grades I make I am the promotion I get I am how much playing time I earn I am my accolades, I am my success. Like the God of performance, the idol of performance says, I am what I accomplish. And so for some of us, we just work, work, work so, so we can say, look at everything I've accomplished. For some of us, it wasn't the idol of performance. Maybe you grew up in a home or you're currently growing up in a home. And maybe, I'll just use this example. Um, speaking of my mom, my, my mom, She's an incredible, godly woman, but she's a people pleaser. She never wants to let anybody down. And so maybe that is the home that you've grew up in or you're currently in is the gods of your ancestors was we're going to just be people pleasers. And so now that becomes the lowercase guy, the idol of approval. Because the idol of performance says, I am what I accomplish. The idol of approval says, I am what everybody else thinks of me. And if we're honest, whether we're a student in this room or we're the oldest person in here or anybody in between those two, I think every one of us, we struggle with this all the time. The idol of approval, I am what everybody else thinks about me. See, we often worship what has been passed down. Next week, we're having baby dedications, and next week, we'll challenge parents to think the parents that are dedicating their kids next week. You know, we'll share some verses um, out of Deuteronomy about what's our job as parents to pass down. I would ask all of us, those of us that have kids here today, what are we passing down? Like, what are we passing down? These idols, or are we passing something down that's eternal? See, we know, right, if we're honest, we know that the idol of performance and the idol of approval 
those things do not satisfy. Those things change all the time because I'm at the mercy of how good I was the day before. I'm at the mercy of somebody's last comment they made about me. I'm at the mercy of whatever like these things say I am because these things change. And so we know they don't satisfy. We actually, these things actually rob us. The enemy in John 10, 10, the thief uses the idol of performance and the idol of approval to rob your heart's affection for Jesus because you're giving it to somebody else and what everybody else says. And he's using those things to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then some of us, right, it's not the idol of performance. It's not the idol of approval. It's the idol, and we talked about this last week in John 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda, it's the idol of our circumstances. The man in John 5 had been lying there for at least 38 years, the text tells us. We don't know how old he was, but for at least 38 years he had been lying there, and his circumstances had become the idol that he'd worshipped. Because when Jesus walks right up to him and says, do you want to get well, he never answered the question at all. He simply just said, I can't. No one's here to put me into the pool. Like his circumstances had become his, his identity. His circumstances had become his idol. I know in love that there are some of us in this room, we've either walked through some really hard things, we're currently walking through some hard things. The reality is we're all going to walk through hard things in the future. So either we're going through it, we just got at it, or got out of it, or it's coming. And for us as believers to make our circumstances the things that we worship is what we're saying is, I don't believe that this is actually going to turn out for good in the end. And not that you and I can't walk, like we just have to pull up our britches and tie our shoes a little bit tighter and say, get over it and quit feeling sorry for yourself. No, I'm not saying that at all. But are we defined and do we find our value in our circumstances and things that have happened years ago? I'm not diminishing them. I'm not minimizing them. But if we are only defined about, we, all we have to, all we share is things that happened 40 years ago in our life, maybe we're worshiping the things that happened 40 years ago in our life. Whether good or bad, the idols of circumstance, see, those are sometimes the gods of our family, right? It's performance, it's approval, circumstance. Well, my dad was an alcoholic, so I guess that's just, that's my story. It doesn't have to be. My mom was this. It doesn't have to be. Right? So it's like these can be the gods of our family. Let's go back to the text in 15. So he says, are you going to prefer the gods of your ancestors or are you going to prefer the gods of the Amorites? I want to use that as the gods of culture. Right? And there's so many things in our culture. And don't get me wrong. I love Rockwall. I love being here. Christy's from here. But we know what's so hard about this, like the gods, the lowercase gods of culture and the culture that we live in is that so many so-called Christians tell you it's okay. Because it's not a popular message to say, hey, as believers, what are we doing? Right? You don't win people that way. You don't get people coming back to, to call certain things out. I know that. And what's the hard part of this, the culture that we live in, it's now the idol of possessions. I am what I have. And I said it two weeks ago. Please hear me. If you have... A boat, great. My favorite friend is a friend, like, I don't need a boat. I just need friends with boats, right? I don't, we don't need a pool, girls. We just need friends with pools, right? You know, I mean, we got plenty of friends with pools. Some of them are a little green right now, but that's okay. We're not going to go to their house. Um, but it's been hot, all right? Um, but the thing is, is that's what our culture says, right? I am what I have. 
For some of us, we buy into this, we are where we shop. We are what we have, we are what we spend, we are what we present. Like, that's what culture says. And then, so if that is the idol that we are worshiping, and that's what's sitting on the throne of our heart, then we are always going to compare ourselves to everybody else around. And you may say this morning, well, I don't do that, and great for them that they have a boat, and great that they have a nice house, and da-da-da-da. Well, do you find yourself going to their house, and immediately you feel bad that your house doesn't look like their house? Well, then guess what? The idol of possession is you are, you're being defined by what you don't have. That's sitting on your heart, the throne of your heart. And so we have to make a choice today as believers, like who are we going to worship? And so some application, right? How do we not give ourselves to idol? Scripture, like you got to know what the word of God says. Like how do you and I not give ourselves to idol? Matthew 6, 33, I know we all know it, but do we actually believe it's true? How do you and I not give ourselves to idols? Matthew 6, 33, we seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Like, you don't want idols to sit on the throne of your heart? Well, then quit. Let's not seek these things. Let's seek him. Like, let's seek him first. How do we not give ourselves to idol? 1 Corinthians 14 would just flat out tell you and I to flee, flee from idolatry. Flee means, like, run away. Let's be honest. When we've had a bad week, what do we run to? We don't run away from them. We actually run to them because we're like, well, at least this is what I know. I know it's not good for me, but I know it. It's been here with me since I was 12. But the Lord is saying, no, flee from these things. And then in Joshua, the text today, that very, like, how do we not give ourselves to idol? And maybe you picked up on this in the two verses. In verses 14 and 15, two verses today, depending on your translation, Joshua tells us, how do you flee how do you not give yourself over to idols? You serve. You serve God, plain and simple. He uses the word serve. Joshua, you go back to Joshua um, 14, or 24, 14, and 15. Depending on your translation, he uses the word serve six or seven times in two verses. How do we not give ourselves over to idols? We serve God. And he says, and serving, and serving, and serving, and serving. Because, see, it's hard to let idols sit on the throne of our hearts when we're serving God. In the previous chapter, in Joshua 23, 8, he says, how do you not give yourselves to idol? In verse 8 of chapter 23, he just tells them, he says, cling tightly to the Lord your God. So question this morning for you and me, if Joshua tells them, how do you get rid of idols? How do you rid yourself of idols? You cling tightly to the Lord, Joshua 23, 8. Well, the thing is, is so many times we cling tightly to these things and we think we can serve the Lord like this, but we can't, not wholeheartedly. We can do it when it's convenient, but the thing is, the Lord doesn't want us to come like this. He actually asks us to come with open hands. Harrison, you, you talked about this a few weeks ago, that I need to have, right, a posture of being open. Like, I don't come with all, like here, I let go of it. Like, I cling to the Lord. You want to get rid of idols, cling to the Lord, not to these things. And then the biggest idol, right, if not those having stepped on your toes, the last one will because it for sure did me. See, the biggest idol that you and I need to quit worshiping today, if we are honest, is the idol of me. Me. And then you, right, your name too, not just Cody, okay, all right. <laughs> right? But that's the idol that we all worship, me. Let's ask ourselves, what do we find ourselves talking about? 
Do we start every sentence with I? Do we complain about everything? Do we find fault in every decision somebody else makes? The idol of me is the idol of preference. Well, you better do it my way because this is about me. This is the biggest idol that we have is, is me, myself, and I. This past Thursday night, uh, Marilyn, Emmy, as I call her, and Austin, not really, that's Austin's grandma name for him. I'm just going to adopt you as my grandma, okay? Um, but Emmy um, Humphrey, Marilyn, spoke on Thursday night at the women's night event, and some of you were there. Um, and I asked, uh, Christy went, and um, I asked when she got back, and I was actually in Lubbock at a wedding on Thursday, but when I got, I called that night and we chatted a little bit, and um, she just said, man, Cody, Marilyn did such an incredible job. I've never, I mean, she's encouraged, she was sweet, she was authoritative, she like is a well of deep knowledge, and we have so many women in this church like that, and such a gift to have not just the godly men that we have, but the godly women that are in this body too, because we all need each other, and we all have a role to play. But she was sharing about what Marilyn talked about, and Marilyn talked about kind of our foundation and like what are we building our life upon, and it was Matthew 7, 24, 20 through 27. Josh, let's throw that up there real quick. A familiar passage. I, I love this passage. I teach it a lot in the summers at, at our quarterback camps. But Jesus here kind of concluding the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to finish here. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. The next verse says, though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So Marilyn was challenging the women, like, what are you building your life upon? Like, are we building our life on idols or are we building our life on something that's going to remain? And Jesus here speaking in the Sermon on the Mount saying, like, you can build it on the world. You can build it on idols. You can build it on all these things that you think are going to last and to bring you comfort and to bring you peace and to bring you joy and to bring you happiness and to bring you all these things. But you know it's not going to last because when the storm comes, guess what? Those things collapse. The idol of me, when something bad happens, does not stand, right? The idol of your possessions, when you lose your job, gone, right? School is starting. Some of you are like, well, I got to have friends. I got to have friends. We pray for our kids. I want my kids to have friends. I want my friends to have, I, I want my kids to have friends. But children, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, you're in elementary school, if you were going into this school, you're trying to win the approval of the current friend group you have or to keep the friend group you have or to make a new friend, what happens when that one friend stabs you in the back? Well, guess what? That idol of approval is gone because now you've given it to a 12-year-old to make you know how you're, like, to tell you how you're supposed to feel about yourself. Because this passage in Matthew 7 tells us that storms are coming not just for the one that built their life on the rock, not just for the one that built their life on the sand, but for both people. Storms are coming. Storms are coming for all of us, right? And these idols that we have, our performance, well, what happens? God forbid this happens, but you guys that are playing sports, I mean, Rachel, like, you, you're out for six months because you had a slap tear. Like, we pray that you will heal, and we pray that you're going to get back, and I, I think you will. But what if, like, for those of you playing sports, what if it's, like, first play? Friday against Braswell in a scrimmage that does not matter and knee's gone and now you miss your entire junior year. Well, now if that's you, you can no longer perform, so that idol's gone. And the world is just going to take and take 
and take and see when he takes all of this, this worked out really well, that wasn't part of the plan. Now what I have left is I'm just now the idol of my circumstances. And then if we don't move on from this, then we just make this idol bigger. And this is who we are. Well, my senior year, this happened. And now this is what we worship. All the things that didn't go the way we thought they should go. And this now becomes the idol because all the other idols have been taken from us. And so we have a choice today. See, without Christ, your idols and my idols, they're going to crumble. Like, it's going to be ruins. But the beauty of it is with Christ, we know that there's something that can actually, that remains. And so, Emmy, you shared this quote at the other night. Josh, will you throw up that, that other picture? I think, yeah. I just found a Google stock photo. I just typed in tornado, house after tornado, and this one came up. But, Emmy, you made a comment to the ladies that your question was, uh, will you leave that open for me? Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. I was like, thank you. Um, it's like the doors in our house, a little shifting going on. Okay, all right. But, Emmy, you asked the ladies that night, are you going to rebuild or are you going to live in the ruins? I'm paraphrasing. That's how, I was, how it was communicated to me. But, Emmy shared after losing... Her story, and she shared, and we talked yesterday a little bit, but after losing a daughter and then losing a husband, it would be very easy to make your idol your circumstances. And then one day, see, the Lord can speak through a lot of things, but one day Emmy's watching the news and picture, not this picture, but a picture like this comes up after a storm, and it was like the Lord said, okay, here you go. You're a believer. I'm your foundation. Are you going to rebuild, or are you just going to make your life in the ruins around you? And so we have a choice today, and so this morning, we can build, Coach Mulkey thought I haven't been working out, but I have. <laughs> I am. <laughs> but we can build, we can build on the foundation. Over and over, right, I am like Christ the rock. And so today we have a choice, like what are we going to build on? Because see, even if you, because all these things like friends are not a bad thing. Sports, not a bad thing. Your job, not a bad thing. You making money, not a bad thing. Like those are good things, but it's when the good things become the ultimate thing, they become a, a dangerous thing. So even the good things that we put, that we have in our life, when those things get taken away, guess what is still there? Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, right? Who does not change is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so the question for us this morning, Daniel, come on up, and we'll close here. It's just a few questions this morning. Like, are you and I going to build on the rock, or are we going to build, sorry, on the sand? I know some of you only come for Daniel, so I just want to make sure he's good, all right? <laughs> Are we going to build on the rock or are we going to build on the sand? Some of us, right, we, we have built sand castles our entire life and we wonder why things do not change. You spend hours and hours at the beach in the summer building sand castles that are gone the next morning. And how silly of us would it be to spend the rest of our life on earth with the time that we have been given, how, how long that is, we don't know to continue to build sandcastles that we know are not going to last. And so my question for all of us this morning, 
a few of them here. Like, what is your foundation? But beyond what is it, but who is your foundation? Who are you serving? See, Scripture tells us that God is a jealous God, that he refuses to share the throne of your heart with anything else. Think about this. True love and true devotion does not share. Right? I've been married to Christy for 14 years, and we entered into a covenant, just like every one of you in this room that are married. You entered into a covenant relationship. Well, I can't enter into a covenant relationship and have girlfriends on the side. That's not true love. That's not true devotion. Right? I pledged my heart to her. I pledged my entire life to her that I would love her like Christ calls me to love her. But if I said, well, Chrissy, it's okay, though. Like, I'm just going to bring a few other things with me. Like, I love you, but I, I got all, I'm going to bring all this with me. And, and I use that, like, the girlfriend analogy, but it could be your hobbies. I'm not saying you can't have hobbies, guys, but do you worship that or do you lead your family? Like, what gets your devotion? What gets your attention? Wives. Like, you entered into a covenant relationship, too. Like, do your, do your kids, like, are you raising your kids, right? And, man, we have a job, too. It's together. We co-parent. We do this together. But do I find myself just scrolling and numbing out because mommy just needs a time out? Like, what idol are, what's on the throne of our heart? Me. God doesn't want to share our hearts with anything. I'm not saying that you and I can't have other good things, but he is a jealous God, and this does not get to sit on the throne of my heart. And the reality is, and unfortunately, because he loves us, I know it doesn't sound like love, but because he loves us, he will do whatever it takes to get this junk off the throne of our heart. He will. And in those moments, we have a choice. Who are we going to serve? So this morning, Psalm 139, I'll close here, 23 through 24, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So as we respond this morning, Daniel's going to play a song. We did it on Wednesday night at our first Wednesday service this week, an old song. But as this song plays, I'm going to ask you just to think about that verse. Yeah, we'll leave that up there. In a time of response, and then I'm going to come back and ask you to do some things. But quietly where you are, I'm going to ask you to say that verse out loud to yourself. Lord, search me and know me. Point out all my anxious thoughts. Right? Point out anything in me that offends you. That's a scary verse if we actually say it. Because he's going to do it. So as this song plays and Daniel sings over us, let's go to the Lord and ask him to reveal what are those idols that are on the throne of our heart that we need to get rid of today. God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. Our God alone from before time began. 
you are on your throne you are God alone and right now in the good times and bad you are on your throne you are God alone you're the only God whose power none can contend you're the only God whose name and praise will never end you're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give you are God that's just the way it is You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. unchangeable unshakable unstoppable that's what you are unchangeable unshakable unstoppable that's what you are unchangeable Unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, times and bad you are on your throne and you are God alone at the end of that text Joshua 24 14 and 15 uses the word serve six seven times how do we dethrone those idols the things that have taken their place that yes God is on his throne but Right, He wants to be on the throne of your heart, too. And, and so how do we do that? We, we serve. But Joshua finished. He says, he says, you can have a choice. You can serve the God of your ancestors, or you can serve the God of the culture that you're now living in. But he says, as for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. And so in our response time, the reason that you have those small bricks is... As a family, I'm going to ask you to, to make that decision today, just to point blank ask you, whether this is your first time here, you've been here with us from the beginning, you're here, right? You're here. You didn't just randomly, your car didn't, I don't think anybody's car broke down and you're like, well, let's just go get some shelter. No, like you came, okay? Because it's probably cooler outside, maybe, I don't know. But you're here, and maybe you're here just like the day that blind Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road, and that day was different. He had sat there forever, and on that day, though, the Lord was walking by, and he knew something was different. 
And so maybe that's the moment for you, that today's that day that's different. You're here. And so with your brick as a family, and you, we had markers and we'll have to share, but during our response time, we've got two songs of, re- of worship left of, through singing. The question is, is what is going to be your family's foundation? What is it? What's it going to be? Is it going to be rock or is it going to be sand? Is it going to be Christ or is it going to be all the other things that we know can creep in? And so there's no pressure here. Maybe you think, we can't, we're not ready to make that decision. I respect that. But if you are ready, like Joshua, to say, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That we are going to build our life on the rock. So when storms come and things get blown over, he is rem- like we know our foundation is still there. And so during the response time, I'm going to ask you if that's you and your family would say that we're going to build our life. That's going to be our foundation. Write your name. Write your last name on that box. And when you're ready, come up and put your box on the rock here. Just a symbol, right? This rock doesn't save you. Nothing weird here this morning, okay? But as a picture here that we are placing our hope, our trust, our identity, everything that we are on Jesus Christ, that he is going to be what sit, he is what sits, who sits on our heart, the throne of our heart. So real quick, let me have your attention. So when you're ready to bring your brick, please, I would love for you to do that. And then as you come up, Melissa and Anna, on the stage, you're going to put out some prayer cards. This is important. We've asked all the educators um, over the last several weeks to send us to send us um, a card with their name and what they need prayer for. And those cards are going to be up here on the stage. And then we also asked the parents to send us every kid. Every kid that we know like is in the gathering database. Big kid, small kid, all kids. We've asked, we have gathering kid prayer cards. This is really important. Those cards are going to be out here on the stage. And, and we're going to ask you when you bring your brick, we're going to ask you to to grab one of those cards of, since I'm the pastor, I already went through it, okay? Um, but this is kind of what they look like. And I got Levi Garza. They're not here today because Lindsay and Chloe are sick. But it's just, I got a picture of Levi now. It says Levi's in second grade. He's homeschooled. And guess what? I'm going to put this next to my computer where I work all the time. And every time I see that picture of Levi Garza, guess what? I'm going to pray for Levi Garza. And so we're going to ask you to grab one of these cards. We have so many kids. Maybe grab two. Not your kids. I assume that you're already praying for your kids. If you're not and you need to be reminded to pray for your kids, then get your kid's card, okay? But grab somebody's card and commit not just today and not just tomorrow, but put it somewhere so every time. Because see, I'll close here and then we'll respond. So many of you throughout the week will send me a text and just say, man, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your kids. But to know that our three girls, right, are being covered in prayer constantly by certain individual families in this room brings so much peace to my life. And so we want to be a body that prays, not just occasionally, but all the time. That we would pray without ceasing is who we want to be. So we're going to jump into worship. When you want to bring your brick, do it. Let the, give the ladies a few minutes, to seconds to put up those cards, and then we'll go from there. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled 
died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh,
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Oh, 